have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, and, and as we look at these last few verses of the chapter, I think we have a great story for you this morning. Uh, we get to see Jesus healing two blind men, and I am so glad. I, I read it this week, and I've studied it, and I looked at it at the end of the study, and I said, I am so glad this story is here. I'm glad that God 
uh, put this story in here for us to see this miracle, to know these two blind men, that we get to walk into this story, we get to walk where they walked and hear what they heard and see what they saw. I want us to put ourselves into this story, and then we get to ask a question today that I think they had the opportunity to ask. And, and I want you to ask that of yourselves today as we study this. If you were there and you got the chance to ask Jesus for anything, and then that's what we'll see that as we read it. You got the chance to ask him for anything. What would you ask Jesus for? What do you want from Jesus? That's the question I want to ask around the room today. And we're going to read it. We're going to pray. I'm going to have an introduction asking that question just to give you guys a time to sit and think about. If you had the opportunity to ask Jesus anything face-to-face, one-to-one, and he said, what do you want? What do you want from Jesus? So let's stand together, and that's the title of the sermon. What do you want? And you can underline you if you're writing down titles. What do you want from Jesus? And I want to read these verses, verses 29 through 34. What, what a great story. It's so full of Jesus today. Spurgeon said that. He said, I love preaching Jesus. And I, I do too. He's like, he said, when I, when I preach Jesus, it's like I'm bringing a plate full of, full of meat to my people. And they're going to enjoy it. And they're going to love it. So that's what you get today. A story full of Jesus. So in verse 29, it said, As they departed from Jericho, a great Jesus. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they said, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still. And he called them. And he said, here's our question. What will you, ye, that I shall do unto you? There's your question. And they say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And Jesus had compassion on them. And I, if, if I was writing it, I would put a, a say law beside that. Think on that. And he touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. What a great story. So let's pray together and we'll study these great verses. Father, we thank you that this is here. We wouldn't know these two blind men. And we know one of the blind men's name is Bartimaeus. We would have no idea this happened. And we'd have no, no clue about these two men if you hadn't saw fit to put these short few verses in the Bible. And God, I love it. And I think it teaches us a great lesson on what our hearts really want from you. So help us to see that today, God. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. Help us to see how great Jesus is today. That you didn't send us a chest-thumping politician to lead us. You sent us a suffering, compassionate servant to lead us. And that's our Savior. Yes. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So if I ask that question, I'm giving you guys some time to think about it. I even posted these as a sermon yesterday, the title, so you guys could be thinking about it uh, throughout the night. But if you had the opportunity, one-on-one, face-to-face, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he asked that question, what do you want from me? What would you want from Jesus? That's a question. Just like these two men who had the the opportunity to ask anything they wanted of Jesus. 
road this week with my boys, Isaiah and Christian, and we were in my truck and we were driving to Pound, I think it was on Monday, and, and this, this question was not asked by me, it was asked by, by, my boy, by my boy Isaiah. We were just riding down the road, and he looked at me and said, Dad, if you had the opportunity to ask God anything at all, and he said, I'll give you anything, what would you ask for, Dad? So we went down the road probably 30 minutes talking about what we would ask for if we had the opportunity to ask God for one thing. And we went down the list of, uh, and he started with me, and then we went to Christian, and then we went to Isaiah. I think he asked that question because he had the answer to trump all answers. He knew what he was going to say. But he got to me, and I, I thought, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, what would I ask God for if I had one thing? So I, I, I said, I, I named, I said, here's what I pray for every day. I pray that every one of my kids will be saved. I pray that they'll, they'll have a, a saved spouse. I pray that they'll love the Word of God and that they'll be abundant in the, in the works of God. That's my, that's, I said, so I'll I, I give you four things that I ask for. And he said, okay, Christian, what would you ask for? And Christian, being the, the deep thinker that he is, he wanted a PlayStation 5. <laughs> you know, I thought, okay, that's fine. That's what his mind is on. Um, you know, he, he wants to play video games. And, and I think that's where a lot of us are. We have a Christmas gift idea and use Jesus as a genie. And we, we say, and we ask for these little tiny, small little things that, that aren't as big as who got PlayStation 5. Or a PlayStation, no, it wasn't even PlayStation 5. I think it was a PlayStation 5 controller for his PlayStation 4. So then we get to Isaiah. And Isaiah's sitting over there licking his lips. He knows. He said, Dad, I would ask God to save every single person alive. I thought, well, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, was, I think I want to change mine now. Because uh, he said, he, he, he thought it through. He said, if I, if I ask God to save everybody alive, then that solves every other problem in the world. That's a good answer. So as I tell you that, I, what would yours be? What's at the top of your list? What's the one thing, and I, and I, I did four. He, and he's learning well. Only so now what would you ask for? What's on the top of your list? Don't do like me and give four. I want you to think about the one thing that you would ask for. And I think that, that whatever it is you would ask for says a lot about who you are. So they're all about your priorities, what you're thinking about, what you want. And that's the opportunity that these guys had the opportunity to answer this question. I want you to look in Matthew 20 with me because Jesus has now asked this twice. Look at verse 21. As James and John come to Jesus, or it wasn't even James and John, we said this last week, it wasn't James and John that come to Jesus, it was their, they sent their mother Salome. Jesus' aunt. They sent her to Jesus, and Jesus looked at her, what do you want? What, what, what wilt thou? So he, he posed that question to, to Salome, James and John's mother. And what did she want? And we're going to look at that. Two times in chapter 20 this question is asked. So that Jesus, and she asked, see what she wanted. She wanted seats at the head of the table. She wanted her boys to sit with Jesus, not to be servants. She wanted her. She wanted, and this is what she asked for. She wanted first place. She wanted prestige and honor and fame and fortune. She wanted them to be VIPs. That said, these are. She she thought that. 
award for the merit of them being with Jesus. That's it. Didn't give it to them. Put my boys up And then in this passage, these two blind men on the road ask for something completely different. I love the, the comparison here. These guys are different. You can write this down. Again, verse 32. What will, you, will you ye that I shall do unto you? It's the same question. Verse 21 and verse 32. And these guys aren't after first place. They just want to follow Jesus. These guys of the, in the kingdom, they just want to see. These guys don't come with mercy. They come seeking mercy. And Jesus gives them exactly what they ask for. And that's the whole point of this sermon, this passage today. And that Jesus performs as they ask for it. Jesus gives them mercy. He gives them healing. It's all about what And Jesus performs this miracle and it's His last healing miracle before He goes to the cross. This is the exclamation point at the end of His healing ministry. So let's look at this and let's ask, what do you want from Jesus? I want to examine what they wanted from Jesus. So I want to show you point number one. I'm going to break it down into three points just to kind of be the the map that shows you where we're going. I think it helps you guys know when I'll be done too. If we're in point one, you guys are still sitting there saying, oh, he's got a lot of time left. Point two, you guys are like, okay, we're, we're almost there. Point three, it's like, ah, 30 more minutes. <laughs> point number one, I want to show you the desperate cry. The desperate cry. And it says in verse 29, and as they departed from Jericho, and, and Jesus is, and, and uh, the disciples, it says they, that's the 12, they're on a journey uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover. And all the Jewish people took this trek to, to Jerusalem for the Passover once a year. So the crowd is gathering. It says, and the, and the multitudes that were following them. So they're, we're going from, from, some, from city to city as he's making his way there. And Jericho would be the last stop before he gets to Jerusalem. Jericho's about six miles, which would be maybe, maybe six hours for him before he would get to, to Jerusalem and, and would have the triumphal entry that we're going to look at here in a couple of weeks. But he, he's, he's getting close. Jericho. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. That's old Jericho. The ruins are there. This is a new Jericho of the New Testament that is more like a vacation resort. So he's passing through Jericho. So he doesn't go directly from Jericho into Jerusalem. He's going to stay the night because as he's passing through the crowd, he sees a wee little man up in a sycamore tree. And he says, I'm coming to your house today. And he stays all night with Zacchaeus. So before he goes, and he runs into Zacchaeus, and we're going to study both of them. Next week we're going to preach on Zacchaeus. I've got to go to Luke to preach that one, but I want to get that in there just to kind of show you the timeline. But here he is. And as he goes, there's more people gathering with him. And it says, as he's walking, behold, you guys know I love that word. It's, it's a surprise out of nowhere. What is this? Two blind men sitting on the wayside. Two blind beggars. And those streets would be lined with beggars. I mean, they, they know the crowd's coming. They know they're religious. 
They know they're walking through those streets heading up to Jerusalem and they, they have money for sacrifices and they, and they feel sorry for their sins that they've committed and they, they're, they're lining up the streets asking for alms for the poor. Please, please, please. And these religious people are, are feeling a compassion food or a little bit These beggars are waiting for the crowd to, to, to meet their needs. They're blind. Blindness is one of the worst conditions in that time. Blindness was very common in this era in Jerusalem and in Israel. They said that half the people in that society would have eye issues. Some were born blind because an infection was common there that kids would be born blind. Others would be blinded because the, uh, the, the, the sand would be blowing around, the sun would be bright. Half the people had eye issues. And there's no cure for it, no medicine. So these two blind beggars, it's not just beggars, it's blind beggars, are the lowest of the low. They're nobodies. They're outcast, unimportant, forgotten nobodies. They were lower than slaves. If you had a slave, a slave could at least work for you a little bit. They could do something for you. You know, a slave can see. You can go out and, and make a slave work. But life passes him by. Your parents didn't want you and they just set you off somewhere. I mean, blind people, people lower than blind men were tax collectors. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low. What was Zacchaeus? As Jesus is going to the cross, he stops for two blind men and a tax collector. The lowest of the low. So all they could do to make a living was sit on the street and beg. And people had to show them where the street was at. So they hear, it says, couldn't see that Jesus was passing by. So it says in verse 30, they heard that Jesus was passing by. <laughs> the, the, there's a large crowd passing through and they're saying what's all the commotion what's going on we can't these, these two blind Jesus is passing by and they've heard of Jesus he was a miracle worker and he'd healed before and he's claiming to be the son of God come down Things and, and just the possibility of Jesus hope in their heart. The possibility of Jesus the only hope that this may be my last chance. This may be my Opportunity is open and they're going to Wow. So they cry out. It says they cried out. This word cry out, I want to explain the word. In the Greek it actually says crazo. So you, when you see that word cry out there, you want to think it's a crazy cry. If the Greek word's crazo, think crazy. It, it's a, it's a, the word that is used for a demonic man as they cry out and, and, and scream and shout and holler it's a word that is used in Revelation uh, uh, for childbirth that as somebody is giving birth to a child they are screaming scream 
comes out of them and it's a, 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 a Again, that's that. Imagine the crowd. I mean, we talked about it. Zacchaeus is going to be up in a tree because he's so short he can't see over the crowd. So there's crowds streets and, and fall. And what do they call him? I love this. They're shouting. They're screaming. And David. And I know you guys may not think much of this, but this is rare. Whether they're saying that for it's not merit they're not asking out of merit they're not saying look at who we are have mercy on us and they say it twice verse 30 and then verse 31 and I didn't just underline it I bought mercy on us it's not give us what we deserve. Don't deserve. If you stand before, if you stand before a judge, and you're innocent, your cry to that judge is justice. Do what's right. I'm innocent. I've done everything right. And you stand up there with your chest out. Whether justice will be served or not, I know. But if you're guilty, you don't cry for justice because justice puts you in jail. Justice is punishment. What do you cry for if you're guilty? Your chest ain't out crying for justice. Your shoulders are down crying for mercy. Please pity me. Please be lenient to me. Please let me go. Please show me mercy. We deserve nothing. We have nothing. That's how we all approach God. We want a seat at the head. Record. 
they were blind as bats. <laughs> they could see better than everybody else in the crowd. They saw him with eyes of faith. And watch this. They cried out in verse 31. The multitude rebuked them. <laughs> this, this isn't the disciples. This is everybody in the crowd. They're, they're, they're jumping onto them. They're looking at them and saying, shh. And, and, and again, Mark says that one of these guys' names is Bartimaeus. We don't know the other guy's name, but we know one of these is, is Bartimaeus. They're saying, Bartimaeus. That's how they felt about blind people. Don't do that. You don't deal with your type. Sometimes the greatest obstacle in getting sinners to Jesus is self-righteous people in a church. Don't deal with your type. People on their high horse. We don't ride in on a high horse. We ride in lowly. But watch this. It didn't stop them. You see this? I love it. The multitude rebuked them, jumped on them. I mean, if it had been me and somebody jumps on me, I, I would have I walked away and said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. You know, that's what you do. I didn't, I didn't mean to cause a scene. I thought I wouldn't be. You, should, you need to but Look what they did. But they cried, which is the same word, the more. Louder than they had been. They just kept right on. You see that? They cried all the more. And what did they say? Same thing. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Have mercy on us. Show us mercy. Be, show us pity. Show us grace. O King. I like that. The more they tried to shut them up, the louder they cried. Can I give you a sidebar? The more our culture tries to shut us up as a church, the louder we need to cry out. Amen. And they will try to shut us up. They will try to stop us. Somebody told me the other day that, Josh, you better be careful. They're going to shut you down on Facebook. You better watch what you say. You better watch what you do. And I said, I'm just going to go louder. I'm going to go harder. I'm going to preach. I'll be quiet. We'll do it the old-fashioned way. Amen. The more they try to silence us, the more we speak up. Amen. But again, they couldn't be denied. They wouldn't take no for an answer. This was their last chance and their only hope. If Jesus passes them by and they be quiet and they don't get His attention, then we're going to be blind and lost and hopeless for the rest of eternity. If Jesus is passing by right So all of us, Jesus passed every single one of us at some point in our lives. And you cried out and said, have mercy on me. And He saved you. And He answered you. 
And that's his response here. As we go from the, the desperate cry, I want to show you his deep care. Watch, watch with me. I mean, this, this is amazing. I love. I mean, you guys, should, I'm floored by this. Just the, the verse thirty-two. I mean, this, this is phenomenal. That if, out of all the and all the screaming, and Jesus, the, the Son of God, with discerning ears, here's those two. Are you with me? What are you in a stadium? A stadium of fifty thousand people. Could you discern two voices? Oh, he did. And look what he does. And Jesus stood still. Amazing. And this is a sidebar, and I don't think it, it may not have anything to do with it at all. But if you turn to jo- Joshua chapter ten. One of the last times that you, you have a story about Jericho. Joshua 10.13 says, And the sun stood still. In Jericho, the sun stopped exactly where it was. And here you have not the S-U-N standing still, you have the S-O-N standing still. In Jericho. He stops dead in his tracks. At the sound of two voices. Two voices that nobody else had ever paid attention to. Two voices. So a Puritan said it this way. It was as if the sun beamed down on two flowers in the field. Wow. And he stopped as if he had nothing else to do. He stopped as if he had nothing else going on. He stopped as if he had nowhere else to go. Jesus is constantly saying, I gotta be about my father's business. I gotta go to Jerusalem. I gotta go to the cross. Jesus has that to him. He just reminded us a few verses ago. Behold, we go to Jerusalem in verse 18, and I'm gonna be betrayed. I'm gonna I'm gonna be condemned to death. They're gonna deliver me to the Gentiles. I'll be mocked and scourged, and they'll crucify me. And I'll rise again the third day. And he, he had his face set like a flint, and he was on his way to Jerusalem. He had the biggest event in the history of the world to do, but he stopped for two blind men. Two nobodies. When nobody else cared about these guys, the bottom of the road. I mean, these guys are outcasts. And Jesus said, stop. That's, that's me stopping. When a red light goes from green to red real quick. <laughs> Tire screeching. Jesus said, stop. That's what it says. You say, what does that teach us? Why is that a big deal? It teaches us that Jesus isn't too busy for them. It, it teaches us that Jesus isn't annoyed by them. The, the crowd was annoyed by them. Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't. I'll say this. Jesus is never bothered by cries for mercy. So we should never stop crying for mercy. All the time I'll, I'll see him and I'll say, God, please forgive me. Please show me mercy. And I'll say, you know what? I ask him that all the time. And he's busy ruling the world. And, and, he's, and he's got his hand upon, on, on, the, on the, the politics of the world. And, and you say, all the places in all the world, why would he stop and hear my cry for mercy? And I read this and said, Jesus stood still. He stopped for them and said, I will always stop for cries for mercy. 
I will always stop. He stops for mercy. He's available. He has time for, for people like me who are nobodies, lower than nobodies. This is who he is. This is how he operates. He runs the universe and still has time to stop for people like us. He stops. I mean, those are great words. I could spend a whole sermon on, and Jesus stood still. After we just been, after we just heard that he's in a hurry to get there. He, we preached this a few weeks ago. He was out in front of him. And they're hanging back. It's like he's running to the cross. And here he stops. For two blind men. Two blind men. Two blind men. Nobodies. Write that down. Jesus has time for us. Wow. Not only does he stop for them. Look what it says next. And Jesus stood still. I can't get past that. I think it's a bigger deal than God stopping the sun in Joshua. That the sun stops for us. You, you with me on this? The day that you were saved, Jesus stopped for you. He stopped for you. As if you were the only person in the universe. He stopped for you. He has time for you. And for me. The day that I was saved, I mean, he, Jesus is, is, is doing and working and, and upholding the universe. But the day that I walked the aisle and I got to the altar and I cried, Mercy on me! He stopped for me. Then he calls for him. I gotta move on. I can't get past Jesus stood still. He's been so fast moving, fast paced, reading Mark, and, and it's constantly moving and shaking and going and, and active. And here he stood still. He stops. I gotta move on. Come on. And he called them. I like that. Mark 10 49, which is the same story, says, and here he says, okay. Somebody go get them. I mean, there's crowds. James, John, go get them boys. You just asked for a seat at the head of the table, and I told you no. You go get them guys. Go get Bartimaeus and his buddy. That's what I call him, Barton and his buddy. You said, why did they name Bart, Bartimaeus? Why why is he in here? The son of Timotheus. I think they knew who Bartimaeus was. I think Bartimaeus was in the church. And as Matthew's, as Mark's writing it, later on in some of the other Gospels, I think he's saying, let me tell him what happened to Bartimaeus. Yeah. Telling his story. The day that Jesus stopped for him. That's your testimony the day Jesus stopped for you. Let's move on. I, got, I, can't, I can't get past it. I just can't. Mark 10, 49 says, And they called the blind men. He sent the disciples, and they called the blind men, saying unto them, Be of good comfort, rise. He calls for you. Don't be scared. I know that usually when you when you cause a commotion, we get guards to come in here and carry you off and throw you into jail somewhere or outside the city in the ruins of old Jericho. But calm down. Jesus is calling for you. And everybody in the crowd's like, Oh! What in the world? Mark 10 50 says that, that the, the blind men cast away their garments and they got up and they run to Jesus. Wouldn't you run to Jesus? He calls for you. Run as fast as you can. I'm getting ready to give an invitation here in a little while. 
And if Jesus calls for you, you run to Him as fast as you can. There's nothing more important in all the world than you coming to Jesus when He calls. So he, these, these guys jump up. Mark 10, 50 says they throw their coats down. You know the only thing they had in the world was their coat? So kept them warm at night. They, you know, they, they cuddle up. And they take their coat and throw it down like it doesn't even matter. Their heart is beating, but the Lord is calling. At that moment, there's nothing more important in the world. They had gotten the attention of Jesus Christ. I don't know how they got to him. The disciples, did they guide them? Did they listen to the voice? As a sheep would listen to the voice of a shepherd? Where's he at? <laughs> my sheep will hear my voice and they'll come to me. Where, where's he at? So they go running to Jesus. And Jesus asks this open-ended question. What do you want me to do? What do you want from me? I heard you calling out. I heard you crying. What do you want? What do you want from me? They are now face to face with Jesus. Doing business with Him. And there's no go-between. There's no priest sitting there saying, what do you want me to ask Him? The disciples aren't. It's not the disciples that are standing there saying to blind Bartimaeus and his buddy, what do you want, what do you want from Him? And they tell the, the go-between. The go-between tells Him they are face to face with the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Sovereign King of the universe, the Lord of Lords, the Curios, the Doulos servants are now talking to the Doulos, the King. Who gets... To stand before the king. The king is asking the servant, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. What can I get for you? Like a, like a waitress coming to your table and saying, can I get you anything? Are you with me? But the king goes to the beggar and says, can I get you anything? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And not just to serve, but to serve the lowest on the ladder. He's serving the slaves. <laughs> He'd had Salome asking, he asked her this question face to face. And she got the wrong answer. Well, I say it's the wrong question. Will these guys get it right? I think it's gracious and kind that Jesus is approachable like this. And they say unto him, and here's that word curios again, and I know I'm throwing around Greek like I know it. I just know how to look it up. And they say unto him, Lord. I love the word Lord. That word Lord is one word that puts us at odds with everybody else in the world. He is our Lord. We do what he tells us to do. He's the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of the universe. We bow the knee to him and nobody else. He is my curios and I am his doulos. Learn those two words. Curios up here, doulos down here. And they say, Lord, we just want that our eyes will be opened. We want to see the number one desire at the top of their list was to see and I love this next phrase. So, Jesus had compassion on them. Yes. And I titled this point, you heard it, the deep care. That's what that compassion is. And I've got to be real careful when I'm exp explaining what compassion is because the word compassion actually means so deep it's down in the bowels. 
You've heard me talk about this word before, but it's a, it's a word that when you, when you uh, care about somebody so much and they're hurting and they're in pain, where do you hurt at? Little Hallie, for the first time ever, felt pain the other day. We took her to get her shots. Sweet little thing lays down on the doctor's table there. And nurse comes in with shots, and she's sitting there just kicking and smiling and just being the sweetest little baby because she is. And she'll just sit and giggle at you. It's just so sweet. And that nurse grabs her leg, and she's still smiling. She takes that shot and puts it in her leg. She's still smiling. And then all of a sudden it becomes a cry, a crazo. And you can see the pain in her face. And I look at Steph and Steph is crying. And I'm wearing a mask and I'm trying to put the mask over my eyes so that nobody can see me cry. <laughs> Tough daddy, broken. In that moment, I felt compassion for my little girl. And I hurt deep down in the pit of my stomach. And I would, I would have taken every bit of shot for her. So that she wouldn't feel a bit of pain. Nurse, put it in my leg. Nurse, do it to me. Don't do it to her. That's what this word is. That Jesus was moved in the depths of his being. That he felt for these two blind men. It wasn't some kind of, they're just out there. Some kind of superficial emotion that we'll say to people when, when they're hurting. Oh, I feel for you. No, no, no. It was so much deeper in the, than that. It was down in the bowels of his mercies is what it's called. Down in the depths of his being. In his inward parts. It was a deep care that he had for these men. He didn't even know them. Oh, he knew them before the foundation of the world. This is the first time he's face to face with them and he felt compassion for them. Isn't that remarkable? That it's not just for these two men, but this is how Jesus feels for us. That when we hurt, he looks down on them like I look down on Hallie because we're his children. When I hurt, he hurts. When I feel, he feels. In our culture today, when we're hurting and we're sick and it's hard, we feel like nobody cares. We have a God who says, I feel the way they feel. Wow. It was his compassion and his sympathy that drove him to the cross. Give it to me. I'll take it for him. When we hurt, he hurts. We have a sympathetic Savior and a compassionate Christ. He felt for them. And don't you love that He feels for us and He has compassion for us, but it doesn't stop there. Because He has the power to do for us. Because watch what He does. We're going to move from the deep care that He has to the divine cure. <laughs> this is a great passage. It's loaded. I don't even know what time it is. That's a good sermon when you look down at the clock yet. We've seen the desperate cry. We've seen his deep care. Now I want to show you the divine cure. I mean, because now he looks at him. It's not just that he cares for him. We care for a lot of people. I mean, don't you see that? You see kids on TV. We'll see those St. Jude's commercials and, and your heart goes out to them and you hurt down deep in your stomach and you say, I wish there was something I could do for them. They do that on purpose so you'll send money. You see those dog commercials when it's talking about dogs that are hungry and they're, they're those tiny dogs. You can see their ribs and my kids are like, Dad, send them money. 
That's what, what they do, right? They want to, you want to get you to hurt deep down so that you want to do something for them. There's, we see cancer and we see the, the coronavirus and we see the nations in an uproar. We say, oh, my heart goes out. There's nothing I can do for them. Little, little Hallie, there's nothing I can do but pick you up and hold you. I can't take your pain away. But we have a God who can do something. I'm helpless. He's powerful. And he, he what's his challenge here? I mean, he just you know, Jesus looking and said, all right, what do I got? What do I got here? The challenge, the obstacle is two men that are blind. Not one, but two. Blind as a bat. They might have even had eyes. One of, the, one of the big challenges that they had in that day wasn't just that you went blind, but that you would lose eyes. These guys may not have had eyeballs. They were blind. And they weren't blind from birth because we see at the end of the passage they regained their sight. So they got it back. They might not have had eyeballs. We don't know. But it's possible. Take that to a faith healer. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Here you go, Benny Hinn. No eyeballs. You wouldn't get anywhere near the stage. Faith healers don't heal blind men because they can't fake it. Hard to fake healing somebody blind. Coming in, can't see anything. That's a sidebar. So here's a challenge. Two blind men. I mean, this is a big deal. And again, there's no cure for blindness now. There's no cure for blindness then. This is a hopeless situation. So they bring these guys who are standing there. We, we just want to see Jesus. You think he can do it? We've seen the very first miracle he did was turn water into wine. We've seen him heal blind. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him feed thousands. We've seen him walk on the water. We've seen him do all kinds of things. He's met every challenge, overcome every difficulty, forgave every sin that's been asked of him based on his history. Do you think he can do this? That's how we are supposed to look at it today. Based on his history of everything that he's done, not only in the Bible, but throughout my life, I know what he can do today. I like looking at that in America. You look at America today and say, oh, it's hopeless. You said, Josh, you said, you want to talk about that. I'm talking about Jesus. We look at our country today and say, oh, it's hopeless. Oh, it's helpless. But I look back and I can see what he's done throughout history. And I say, he can meet this challenge. This ain't too big for him. Does our current condition and our current circumstances challenge him in the least? And the answer is not at all. He has power to overcome all obstacles. So here he goes. I like this. Look what happens. And he touched their eyes. <laughs> he could have thought it. Just in his mind said healed and they would have been healed. He could have just said it. He could have kept a safe distance. You know, said let's, let's, let's social distance. And Jesus was terrible at social distancing. But he walks up to them and he touches their eyes. You say, why did he touch these guys? Because the one thing that a blind man wanted more than anything else in the world was to be touched. Nobody touched them. This sense was gone. 
They had to use all the other senses of, of hearing and feeling, smelling, tasting. They just wanted touch. And Jesus walks up to them, again, one-on-one. I made a coloring sheet. I don't, I don't know who was first. Maybe Bartimaeus was first or his buddy. I don't know. But he puts his hands on their eyes. And the touch was so powerful that all natural laws were set aside. And he created seeing eyes with just the power of his touch. Watch this. How long did it take for them to get better? He didn't give them glasses. He didn't give them contacts. He didn't give them a glass eye. (laughs) It says, and I, I love this word, and a week later, that's what your version says. If that's what it says, it's wrong. And take two of these and call me in the morning. <laughs> that's not what it says. It says, and immediately, instantly, in a split second, in a twinkle of an eye, these blind men went from darkness to light, from blind to sight. Like that. And the first face they saw was their Lord and the Son of David. (laughs) And I can imagine that as they heard he was walking by, that they had a picture in their mind of what he'd be like. Lord, Son of David, King. And when they opened their eyes, He exceeded every expectation that they could have ever imagined in their minds. He was much more glorious and much more wonderful and much more caring and much more compassionate. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard what God has in store for us. In our minds, we think about what Jesus is going to be like when we see him. But when we die and we close our eyes in death, and the first face that we see when we open our eyes in heaven, he will exceed every expectation that you'll ever have. Amen. It'll be the most glorious sight you've ever seen. May take that to your deathbed. I may die here, but boy, I'll be more alive than ever there. And I'll see the face of my Lord. Amen. It's hard to fake that. So he shows his power, yeah. It shows the proof of who he is. He is the Son of God. We know that. Who else could do that? But I I think this story is about more than that. I don't think it's about some of these miracles, and and me and Brandon talked about it before church. I've preached so many of these miracles in Matthew, and some of them are to show his power, and some are to prove who he is so that everybody looks at it and says, yes, he is the, the Son of God. He is the Christ and the Messiah. He is who he says he is. Okay, it's powerful, it's proof, but I believe primarily this is here to show us that the king came not to be served, but to serve. Because he, the highest, stooped down to serve the lowest. I said that he's at the blind men at the bottom of the rung. Only tax collectors, only Zacchaeus is lower than these two guys. 
And the king of kings stepped down to the lowest of lows to serve them. And he didn't even ask for a payment. He didn't send them a bill. Mercy there was great. And grace was free. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. Free grace. Free grace. Free grace. You go to the doctor and later on they send you a bill and they say, Ooh, look at this. Ooh, look at that. Oh, that cost you. Oh, a tongue depressor. It cost you too. I mean, everything. Jesus said, You're healed and there's no charge. Mercy there was great and grace was free. <laughs> and then what happened? I have to hurry. I'm not going to. I, I may never preach this passage again. This is my one opportunity. I'll preach it. Their eyes were opened. And immediately they received their sight. Regained their sight. In Luke 18.42, you don't have to turn there. Same story. This story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus says, as He touches them and He heals their eyes, He says, your faith has saved thee. Not your faith has healed thee. This is a great point, And we need, to, we need to get this. Not your faith has healed thee. Because you don't have to have faith to be healed. We hear that all over. Oh, if I just have enough faith, God will heal me. And that's, not, that's not the case. Because there's a lot of people who have no faith at all that get healed. And there's a lot of people who have, have great faith beyond any faith you'll ever see and they don't get healed. So faith doesn't necessarily heal you, but faith will always save you. Yes. Now that's a point. We, we, we get so confused out there. Oh, I just don't have faith. Oh, I, I have faith. Oh, I have faith. Faith doesn't always heal you. Sometimes your faith is what gets you through not being healed. I trust Him. And if He heals me, okay. But if He don't, it's okay. I trust the sovereign Lord of the universe who cares about me. So faith doesn't always heal, but faith always saves. Faith is 100% necessary for salvation. Get this. Anytime, anywhere, anyone has ever been saved, it has been through faith alone and Christ alone. And then Matthew says, I like that, Luke says that your faith has saved you. And Matthew says, and then they followed him. Because everyone who is saved then follows. <laughs> everyone who's ever saved by faith in Christ will begin to follow Christ. Everyone, and we need to hear this, everyone who's ever been saved by faith joins the crowd of followers. Jesus could look at them and say, go your way. And they look and say, my way is your way now. I go where you go. I do what you say. I join the group of followers that's going where you're going. And I believe this. They joined the crowd following Jesus. Luke 18 adds that they left praising God. I mean, they couldn't get it out of their mouth. So I believe, this is what I believe, that they followed Him into Jerusalem. I mean, where else are they going to go? They didn't have a house. They lived in the streets. We can see now. I'm just going to follow Jesus. I'm going to go where He goes and do what He wants me to do. I believe they followed Him to the cross. I believe they followed Him after the tomb. I believe they followed Him into the upper room in Acts. 
That's why we know who Bartimaeus is. He was somebody in the church who never stopped talking about the day that Jesus stopped for him. And they knew who Bartimaeus was. And they come back and read this and they say, here's where Bartimaeus got saved. Here's where he started following Jesus. And he hasn't stopped talking about it since. I would say that they're sitting in church saying, we've heard it, Bartimaeus. (laughs) We've heard it. Put a lid on it, Bart. (laughs) But let me tell you about the day that Jesus stopped for me. (laughs) You with me? And they knew who Bartimaeus was. And they turned to Matthew chapter 20. Here's Bart and his body. They turned to Mark 10. Here's Bart and his body. They turned to Luke 18. Here's Bart and his body. Here's where it all started with Bart. The day that Jesus was walking by, I cried out for mercy and He stopped for me and He saved me. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine if we started telling people that? Let me tell you about the day Jesus stopped for me. He stopped for me. What a story. Aren't you glad this is in the Bible? (laughs) Wow. I mean, the title above my passage says, Jesus is compassion for two blind men. (laughs) So let me close with this. What do you want from Jesus? Because I believe he's passing through here today. Revelation 2 and 3 says Jesus is in His church. And He passes through His church. And I believe that without a doubt. That Jesus walks through and Jesus works in His church. And I believe there's something, and you, you may call me names and call me crazy for this, but I believe there's something supernatural about church. When the people of God gather together, we sing the song, it was on a Monday, it was on a Tuesday. And I know Jesus can save you anywhere, any place, anytime. But there's something about Sunday in church that when we get to that last day, Sunday, and we all stand up and there's scattering Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, not too many on Saturday. I don't know what we're doing on Saturday. But when Brandon gets to, it was on a Sunday, somebody stopped for me. Yeah. Oh, we can say it this way. It was on a Sunday, somebody touched me. It must have been the hand of the Lord. When he says Sunday, it's like a standing ovation. Of people that he saved on Sunday. Uh, you, you can call me crazy if you want. But what is it? You say, oh, it's just the preaching. Yeah, it is. And when the gospel goes out, the Spirit moves and Jesus is walking in his church. I say all that to say this. I believe that Jesus walks through his church. Amen. And I believe that he's passing by here today. And I believe that you have the opportunity today to ask him for anything you want to ask him for. And I believe... Here's your opportunity to ask Him for whatever it is you want. I believe that. Christian, if he's up here, I think he's downstairs serving in the nursery. But if he was up here, he could come to the altar and he could say, you know what, God, I want a PlayStation 5. 
I'm not saying he'll give it to him, but I'm saying he'll stop and he'll listen and he'll care. Isaiah could walk up here and, and get on his knees and say, God, I want you to save the whole world. He'll stop, he'll listen, and he'll care. And I think we need to ask him for the big things. I think we need to ask him for the small things. So I, I need to be healed. I've got cancer. I've got you know whatever it is. Our nation needs to be needs a revival. Ask him for it. I'm not saying he'll do it. I mean, I know he can based on history. I know he can do. I know he can heal. I know he can revive. I know he can do whatever he wants to do. But I'm not saying he will. I'm not, I can't guarantee that. But I can guarantee he'll stop, he'll listen, and he'll care. Yes. Guaranteed. So we need to ask today. I ask you at the start of the sermon. Let, let, let's think about it. So what's at the top of your list? Ask Him for it. Sitting in your pew at the altar. We're going to play a song online at your house. Turn everything else off and get on your couch and say, I'm asking for this. Oh Lord, I need this more than anything else. Save my child. Heal my parents. Whatever it is, ask Him for it. And I'll give you another one. If you're here today and you're lost, He's passing by. You better cry out for mercy. Because he could pass you by. Are you with me? And the last thing you ever want to happen is for Jesus to pass you by. And you didn't cry out for mercy. He didn't stop. And he didn't save. I can't guarantee you'll answer everything you ask. But I can guarantee he'll answer a cry of mercy. And he'll save you on the spot, in the moment. And you'll walk out and you can say, let me tell you about the day Jesus stopped for me. And it could be today. It could be today. John Calvin said this, In Christ, God's face shines out, full of grace and gentleness to us poor and unworthy sinners. So today can be the day that Jesus passed you by or the day that Jesus stopped and heard your cry for mercy. I urge you today to hear the call. Jesus sent disciples to go and call those men. And I think he sent a preacher today to call you. Don't be afraid. The master, the master calls. <laughs> the master calls. There's nothing more important today than for lost sinners to hear the call and come running to Christ by faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful passage. It has been a great, great blessing to me this week to study. I thank you for this little story, for these two men, but most of all for my Savior. We've done our best to honor you today and to glorify you. And I believe that when that happens, that we get your full attention. So God, as we have your attention here, as churches are meeting around the world, I have no doubt that you right now are looking down on us and saying, they're preaching Christ. They're honoring Christ. I pray that you'll walk through this church. That you would call 
sinners. And that they'd come running and by faith plead, beg for mercy. And God, I believe that as the music plays here in just a second, that there will be requests going up around this room and even in, in rooms and, and living rooms around the county, state, I don't know who's listening, of people asking you. So God, hear their cries today. Answer them. Show them you care. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Scott's going to play us a song.